If you would open your Bibles to the book of Colossians, and we'll, we'll get there in a moment. We're going, to, um, we're going to spend a little bit of time, before we start reading in Colossians, we're going to spend a little bit of time being reminded and stirred up uh, of what God's already said. We've read several times how in, in the book of Luke, it says that Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem until what? Until they were clothed in power from on high. I like that better than the King James. King James says, endued with power. But who in the world uses that word, right? <laughs> You've been endued with a nice suit. Um, I, I, I like the more modern interpretation of being clothed with power. And that is what Jesus said, that you would be clothed with power from on high. If you say they've been clothed with power when what happened? When the Holy Spirit came down, when the Holy Spirit indwelt them, they were clothed with power. And yet we know that many of them at a certain point felt weak and many of them at a certain point did not experience that power. And it's not because God hadn't clothed them. It was because there was something that a choice they had to make. It was things that they had to let happen for that same spirit to affect everything. That power working within you that you have right now, when you got born again, when you got filled with this, his Holy Spirit, there was a power clothing you and injected inside of you. Now, does every part of your life feel full of power? Not all the time. And the reason is, is because it is us that says, I'm going to let him rule in this area. I'm going to let him take over this area. I'm going to give this area back to him. When you do that, you have his power. When you try to exert your own power and control, you have your own power and control. In Acts chapter 4, Two chapters later, we remember, and I've said this several times, you remember how Peter and John came back after a, uh, a good threat and they prayed that the Lord would grant them boldness, that the Lord would enable them to speak his word and that signs and wonders would follow the preaching of the word. What does that sound like to you? To speak the word boldly, signs and wonders coming with it. Does that sound powerful to you? That sounds like powerful ministry. That's the way ministry is supposed to be with power, a bold speaking and signs and wonders confirming the word. That's the way ministry is meant to happen. So it's meant to be with power. Well, what was God's response to their prayer? It says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and the place began to shake. You say, but all of those people were there on the day of Pentecost. They were all filled. So we see that there, is, there was an imperative to come to the Lord and say, I was filled, but I got a little bit depleted. Fill me again. And when he did that, they had the power that they asked for. In fact, it says great grace was on them all. Great grace was on them all. In Galatians 3, it says when you were baptized into Christ, Galatians 3.27, I believe. It says, when you were baptized into Christ, you were clothed with Christ. But in Romans 13, it says, put on Christ. So you see, God clothes us, but what God clothes you with, you have to make the choice to put on. In fact, two verses before the verse I just quoted out of Romans, it says... So the time is near, the time has come for us to awake from sleep, for the day is near, the night is almost done. Therefore, let us lay aside 
the deeds of darkness. Did you hear that? Lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. There are things that God is calling us in this time to lay aside for they are part of your old life. They are part of an old way of thinking. They're part of a world way of thinking that surrounds us. But we put it aside and we put on what we've already been clothed with. When you put something on, you can't put something on that hasn't been given to you. You have to put on what you've already been given. When he says put on the armor of light, he doesn't say obtain it. He doesn't say ask for it. You have it. Put it on. And when they were clothed with power from on high, they had it. But in Acts chapter 4, they asked for more and they put on that power. They walked in that power. When Galatians 3 says you were clothed with Christ and Romans 13 says put on Christ, you're able to put on Christ because you've already been clothed with Christ. So we've got to see what's already been done and what we choose to let take over our daily lives. Our daily lives. Not our Sundays, not our Wednesdays, but every day. And I'm, I, I am praying, believing, and have an earnest expectation and hope that this will be a church of power. A church of power. But you can't be a church of power by having a good service. That can help. But to have a church of power, you've got to have believers full of power Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Not, not a couple hours twice a week. But every day walking in the power of God. Walking in the divine love of God. Walking in the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Walking in the spirit that was given on the day of Pentecost. Walking daily. And so that's something where you say, I lay aside this part, I lay aside these things and I put on what I've already been clothed with. Romans once again says, I believe it's in Romans 12, where it says that it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Philippians 2 says that We've been put in the midst, in the middle, in the midst, right in the center of a wicked and perverse generation. It says crooked and perverse, wicked and perverse, crooked and perverse. They mean the same thing. You ever see a wick of a candle? It's twisted, wicker, twisted. That's where the word wicked comes from. You see, wicked, the the force of evil is not the opposite of the force of good. It may sound like that, but evil is corrupting twisting what God has made to be good. What God has made holy, Satan has always attempted to twist. That's why it's easy to fall into that stuff because it's not a brand new thing. It's a corruption of what God has created. God created marriage before the curse. God created marriage before the first sin. God created marriage before a serpent even opened his mouth. It is holy. It is pure. And yet Satan has tried to corrupt the intimacy that God created between a man and a woman for the rest of eternity. 
And you see that one of the greatest downfalls of men, whether they be politicians, even unfortunately ministers, any sort of man, his greatest weakness often is is that lust for a relationship between him and a woman that's not his wife. Because there is a desire that God put in that man that was meant to be for his wife, that turned and was twisted to a desire for his own gratification. And whoever met that gratification was the one that he was with. This was a twisting of something holy. God's provision. Oh, God's provision. Don't you ever think about the fact that before God created Adam and Eve, he put gold in mountains? He put diamonds in places? You ever thought of that? Why in the world did he do that? For the squirrels? For you I mean, what's the point? We can't eat it. He says, all the gold and the silver are mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. He claims them as his own. If they're his, they're holy. Because he does not claim possession of anything that's not holy. That's why he says, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Doesn't it make you happy to know God would not call me a people for his possession if he already hadn't made me holy? Thank God. But what God possesses is holy. And so if he possesses the gold and silver on its own, it's holy. But what Satan has tried to corrupt is instead of the desire for the creator, the desire for the created. And we took the desire for the creator who would use the gold and the silver to enhance, to bless, to to advance the kingdom, to enable us to do what he called us to do. And instead, we turned our eyes from him and turned it to the very gold and silver that was worth nothing. But it's a corruption. That's why it says the love of the money is a root of all sorts of evil. Isn't that strange? That something God created could lead people with their lust for it instead of God. Could lead people down so many paths. Paul said to Timothy, he says, those that desire to be rich fall into a trap and into many snares and pierce themselves. With many griefs. And yet. A few verses later. He says. Warn the rich. Not to put their hope in riches. But in God. Who richly. And he uses the word rich. Richly supplies all things for us to use for business. No. All things for us to properly be good stewards of. No. All of all that's true. But he uses the word enjoy. He says that he's richly supplied us with all things to enjoy. And so all of a sudden, this thing that that, that we thought was evil because Satan twisted our desire for it. In one place, he says, don't desire it. But he says, if you desire God, he richly supplies you with everything you need and everything to enjoy. So we're talking about holy things that has become wicked and corrupted. And that's what the world is around us. That's why Satan can take something pure inside of you. If you had let him, which I trust that nobody here would. But if you would let him, it, you, you start hanging around with a certain group of people. You start believing a certain uh, set of beliefs. You start reading certain books or watching certain shows. And it twists the, the, the pure thing inside of you to be just a little bit off. And a little bit more off. Why? Because wicked things are nothing more than something that God created twisted. 
So when the scripture says that he has placed us in the middle of a crooked or wicked and perverse. What's perverse? It's also something good that's been changed. Wicked and perverse generation. That's the, that's the hard part of the verse. Here's the good part. In which you shine as lights in this world, or as the New International Version says, you shine as stars in the universe. See, that's the great thing. I'm not afraid to be in the middle of a wicked and perverse generation. I'm not afraid to be in the middle of a wicked culture because that's why I'm there, to be a light. To be a star to give light to. You don't need to fear the wickedness. You've got the righteousness of God. You don't need to fear the evil. You've got his goodness inside of you. But you have to make a choice. That you're going to go and not pick up the dirt of the world. But instead keep that cleanliness that God has given you. Keep that righteousness that he's already placed inside you. Keep all of the things that he's given you. Let them be your guide. Let them be your clothing instead of the clothing of the world. So he says, do not be conformed. Now, to be conformed means to to be shaped into another mold, right? Conformed is to, to be shaped into the world's mold. If we start looking like the world, something's wrong. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. I like that because conforming is slowly being molded and fit into a mold. But transform is is completely different creature. I mean, it's like the difference between microevolution and macroevolution. It's it's huge, right? I mean, conforming, you can conform and slowly change. But transformation, you can't make that happen except by God. And so we're not to be conformed to this world, but we're, we're supposed to be transformed. How? By the renewing. Of our minds. Praise God. How do we renew our mind? Ephesians 6 says. That that God does this with us. And it says that Christ. Here's what he does for the church. He washes her by the water of the word. The water. Sorry. He washes us by the water. By the water. By the word. And so here's the deal. That the word washes us. It washes our minds. Cleans those things out. We talked about this in Loon Lake, but it's funny to, to think, you know, people, and I'm sure you've heard this before, but of course people, if you, if you get too into this book, if you get too into the, the things of God, people will inevitably say you've been brainwashed. Which sounds good. It sounds better than having a dirty brain. I like to be washed. What's wrong with being Washed. You know, I go through the day. I mean, yesterday, I, I, I went over to mom's place. She made burgers for Tia and I, and then I, I, I did some lawn work. Well, I got dirt on me. I perspired because it was hot. And when I got home, first thing I did was run to the shower. And every day, you pick up a little bit of stuff, and it's just normal for us to shower once a day. I hope you do. It's normal for us to shower maybe... You know, if you skip a day, I'm sure it can be forgiven you. But, you know, we try to shower once a day and you don't go around and people go, you have been body washed like it's a horrible thing. Like, ugh, 
You've been body washed. That's unnatural. Who did this to you? I did this to me. I picked up dirt. I picked up smells. I picked up all sorts of stuff that just cling to you as you walk around this world, right? And as you walk around this earth, you pick up junk. And what you do is we have a great system in place. We take showers. We take baths. If all you've got is a sink, you use the sink. So what's so wrong about cleaning the mind, which is just just bombarded every day with commercials? Which tell you that you're not happy. Until you have this. Which tell you you're not complete until you have this. What's so wrong? about cleaning your brain after you've gone all day with people doing what's right in their own eyes and trying to make you feel bad because you don't feel the same way. What's wrong with having a compass that always points north and always realigns your mind, no matter how messed up it can get, no matter how dirty the world is, you have a clean, cleansing force in your life. What's wrong with being brainwashed? I'm not talking about having an empty brain, not washed empty, washed clean. There's a difference. There are people I think have had their brain washed empty. That's not good. You have to have a brain fully functioning, empowered by the Holy Spirit, washed clean. Thank God. So all of that to say that it's a choice to pick up the word of God, to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I've picked up some. Thoughts, I've picked up some attitudes that aren't of you. I'm going to lay those things aside and I'm going to put on Christ. I'm not going to walk as I used to walk. I'm going to walk as you walked on this earth and I'm going to grow every day. I'm going to grow. You know, when Pastor Brownie said that we're going to pray that those kids don't come back the same. You know, that's that's. Something weird to think that they wouldn't be the same, that they come back changed. You go, what's wrong with them? Why do you want to change them? Well, it's because we all want to be changed. We all want to grow. We all want to go further, right? And so it's you can always safely pray that prayer because no matter how pious you may be, there's always more to go. There's always further. There's always higher. There's, there's always a deeper level. And so those kids, it doesn't matter how... It doesn't matter how on fire they are right now. God has got more for them. And that's one of the beautiful things of his gospel is that he never leaves you on a a plateau and just keeps you there. He's always got a place to take you to the next level. In Colossians chapter 3. Previous chapters have told us that we have not only been crucified with Christ, we've been raised up with Christ. In Ephesians, which some, many people consider to be the sister letter to this one, uh, you see that we've been raised up with Christ and seated with him in heavenly places. That's awesome. That's where we've been seated. That's our position. Now, anybody who's been a believer for any period of time has come to understand that the Bible basically gives us three parts of ourself. Our spirit, soul, and body, right? We are, this is what they taught us in children's ministry. We are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. That's a great way to remember it. You are a spirit. No matter what you think, you are a spirit, you have a soul. What's your soul? Your mind, 
your will, your emotions. Your, your soul is the area that your brain dwells in. Your soul is where you make all your decisions. Your soul is where the emotions come out. Your soul is, is where you think of what you're going to say. That's where your soul is. And it is not a terrible thing. It can be renewed. This is what God is saying needs to be renewed by the word. Your soul. Your spirit, which is you. You're the spirit. When you got born again, was made holy. Clean. Perfect and justified. Isn't that great? That's you. That's you. That's where you stand. But you still had a brain and a mind that needed to be renewed. Your spirit doesn't need to be renewed. How many of you know that? Your spirit's as renewed as it's ever going to be. It's clean. It's holy. It's perfect. Your mind, will, and emotions need some fixing. But he gave us the tools to do that. And your body. Your body is probably the most animal part of you. And it's the part that just needs to learn to obey the Spirit. It just needs to learn to fall in line. You don't need to try to teach it new tricks. Just say, fall in line and obey what the Spirit tells you to do. Yes, sir. That's all it needs to know. It'll fight you every now and then. But I'm hungry. I don't want to fast and pray. And you go, that's that's nice. I heard you. Um, You're going to fast and pray. And, And it has to do what you tell it to do. You have control over the body, right? So as as a spirit says, therefore, in chapter three, if you've been raised up with Christ, well, if you're a believer in this room, you have been raised up, right? Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Did you hear those two mega packed, powerful words in that verse? Now you say there's several mega packed powerful words in this verse, especially Christ. But but I'm gonna I'm gonna point out too, and, and Rhonda just said it perfectly, it is keep seeking. Keep seeking. There is not one 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 day of seeking that you have in your life where you go off on a vision quest and you seek something, and there, boom, you got it. For the rest of your life. Your brain is in the clouds, your feet are on the ground, and you're good. It says, keep seeking. Now that to me sounds like every moment, every day, every hour, every chance. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Do you remember where Christ is? He said, that's where you are. But your mind can go either way because you are surrounded in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation. So it's very easy to start seeking the things that they seek, to start desiring the things that they desire, to start reasoning as they reason. But you are a higher being, not that you're better than them, but you've been redeemed, bought back, saved, sanctified. This is a great thing. And God's got the same plan for them. So there isn't uh, an error, even a touch of arrogance in this, right? Because you know his, it's all his work. But here's your part. Keep seeking. Now, I don't think anybody's excluded. There's nobody here. There's nobody on the planet or who has ever walked the planet that had the chance to stop seeking or that had the right to stop seeking. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That tells me that's where your desire is meant to be. That's where your thoughts are meant to be. 
And you say, well, how can I think about that all day? I have to deal with real earthly problems. But real earthly problems have real spiritual solutions. Don't you know God works on the earth? Right? He doesn't go, I wish I could help you, but I'm up here. I'd love to lend a hand, but look at me. I'm on the throne. What can I do? I could get off the throne, but who knows who's going to hop on while I'm off. I, I got to stay. No, there are spiritual solutions to every earthly problem. And so it says, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind. Now, I love that because there is that that nice word in this translation, particularly that says set when something is set. That's purposeful, isn't it? It was set there. We set this plant here. I set that guitar on that stand. These things have been placed on purpose. They didn't just, I didn't just throw my guitar in the air and it just floated over to the stand and landed there. And we said, oh, that worked out well. Thank you, gravity. That's not how it works. You have to set it there. And now that it's set here, unless I start messing with it, it's not going to fall off. I say that because it fell off during practice, because I was messing with it. But if I leave it here, I've set it there. That's where it's going to stay until I move it. So when we set our minds, that speaks to me of action, of purposing what you're going to think. Do you realize most of the world just thinks about whatever pops into their brain? That's, that's, that's easy to do. You just kind of go through life and whatever pops into your brain to think about, you start thinking about whatever's in front of you. Oh, look at that. Oh, no, that's what I'm thinking about. Whatever's on TV, whatever the last person said to you, that's what you think about. And it's very easy to do this as a believer. You know, the, the, the next time you get a phone call with less than good news, it's very easy to spend all your afternoon thinking about that. Very easy to think about the things the enemy wants you to think about if he just puts the right distraction in front of you. But here is purpose. Set your mind. Set it. That means you control it. You are the one. You're in the driver's seat. You've got control. You set it where it needs to be. Your brain is not going to magically find its way to the right place. You've got to set it there. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. So there's something to set on, and there's a direct command not to set it on this thing. Set it on things above, and make sure you don't set it on the things that are on the earth. Because the things that are on the earth are temporary. It's, it's, it's not going to last. It's a big fake out. It's, it's distraction. But you say, so am I supposed to sit in my room all day and think about God? No, because when you start setting your mind on things above, it makes you very active on this earth. Makes you very active on this earth. And Jesus is the perfect example of that. You did not find Jesus spending all of his life in a synagogue or a temple just sitting there meditating. If he was in a synagogue or temple, he was teaching. If he was, if he was amongst people, he was healing, he was delivering, he was teaching them. He said he felt compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He was moved with that compassion. When his mind was set on things above, he left with a mission. He always had that mission. So setting your mind on things above doesn't mean you don't get any work done on the earth. It means you get more work done on the earth because it's in the power of God instead of your own strength. Then it says, for you have died. 
That's a shocking moment. You don't want to wake up and hear somebody say, you've died. That's a Tom Sawyer kind of thing to happen. You go, at least can I attend my own funeral? You've died. You have died. That, that old person who you used to call you has died. Now, the reason that this has to be said and is not just obvious is because it's your, it's your soul that needs a reminding. It's your flesh that needs reminding. Your spirit knows it's new and alive. But your soul has formed patterns, has formed habits, has formed personality over the course of your life that God has every desire to change and renew and make the things that were cracked whole again. Do you know so much of our personality is shaped by negative things? So much of things we're afraid of are based on something that happened to us. So many things that we're, make us angry are based on experiences or, or people in our life that didn't fulfill our expectations. And yet God says, don't base your personality on that. Don't base your action on that. I want to renew all of these things, but you're going to have to set your mind on me and not on them. You're going to have to set your mind on things above, not on the things that are of this earth. For you're dead. You've died. Guess where your life is? Your life is hidden with Christ in God. That means that it, you cannot separate your life with his life. They're together. And, and, and so there's two things from that. Number one, that means that your life is, is inseparable from his. And the other thing is, is that not everybody sees exactly who you are. Not everybody gets who you are. We all know that, right? I mean, you all have people that just say, I don't get you. I don't know, what, I don't know why you act that way. I don't know why you talk that way. And they may say it with a smile, and they may say it with an angry, furrowed brow. But you don't, you're not, not everybody gets you. But you've died. Your life is hidden with Christ. You can't separate your life from his life. And it says this in the next verse, that when Christ is revealed, when Christ, who is our life, he is our life. I love that. It doesn't say he has our life. It doesn't say he gives us our life, even though all that's true. It says he is our life. This is what Paul said. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Those are my two options. If I'm alive, I'm in Christ. If I'm dead, I'm, I'm happy. I'm with him. But he didn't give himself any other options. and We shouldn't either. It says when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. There's an unveiling, a, a presentation day that's to come. It hasn't come yet. But the day when the world sees him for who he is, they'll see you for who you really are. You just have to accept that they're not going to see you exactly for who you are until that day. So until then, when people persecute you, you bless them. When people hurt you, you pray for them. Because they may not get it right away. It says, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body. And this is also telling us that this earthly body is not who we really are. This is not who we really are. It's just a suit we're wearing, but this isn't who we are. So he says, consider this earthly body dead to immorality. Now, when it says immorality, that's not just talking about bad behavior. That's almost universally referring to sexual immorality. Consider it dead to sexual immorality or any other type of immorality, to impurity, to passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Why? It's because it's putting the creation above the creator. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come 
upon the sons of disobedience. There will be justice. Sin will be judged. And if you haven't accepted the free gift of the sacrifice for sin, there is a judgment for it. Your judgment's already been judged. Your sin has been judged through Jesus Christ. But there will be those that will come under judgment because they are the sons of disobedience. So it says, don't act like them. You're not them. And in them, you also once walked. Love that that's in the past tense, right? You also once walked in these things. When you were living in them. You were immersed in them. You were baptized in this junk. You were filthy. You were dirty. But now you also put them all aside. So the first thing we're told to do is to set our mind. Is that a choice? Now it says put them aside. Is that a choice? That's a choice and an action, isn't it? Put these things aside. That tells me that the moment you got born again, these things didn't just magically disappear. You had to make a choice to let him be the Lord that he, call, he said he was, to let his power work in you, to let, his, to let this beautiful gospel work in all of your life and put it aside. It means it's still there. You put it aside and say, it's not part of me anymore. This isn't who I am. That means a life change. That's a schedule change. That's a thought change. That's everything change. You put aside these old things and it says anger, wrath, malice, slander and abusive speech from your mouth. Put it all aside. Do not lie to one another since you have laid aside. Don't lie to one another since you've laid aside. Once again, that's an action, right? You laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have Put on and have put on. So God called you to lay aside this old self and put on the new self because he gave you that new self. Now he says, put it on. And in this case, he says, you have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Your new self is being renewed. And it looks like him. It's made in his image. It's made in his likeness. There's no flaw in it. Your new self is the self that you were meant to be. But he says, lay aside the old and put on the new. That's action, isn't it? It was being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew. Circumcised and uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman. But Christ is all and in all. So the more we become like him, the less we see these fleshly distinctions. That's why I, I've said, as long as I've ever had revelation on it, I've, I've believed that Colossians 3 is the solution to racism in the church. Because the more we're renewed to realizing who we are, who we are in Christ, who He is in us, and the more we see that in each other, the less we see anything else. What do we see? What are we supposed to see? Christ is all. And Christ is in all. And that's what we see. 
We see Christ in them. We see Christ in us because we've laid aside the fleshly things. We laid aside the old self and we put on something new, something that he says in the next verse is, it says, so those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. So let's listen to those three things that are so important. The first thing you need to know is you've been chosen by God. That, that, that's huge, right? I've been chosen of God. He says, holy. I'm holy, thank God. There are not levels of, of holiness. There's either holy or unholy. And he says, you've been made holy. And beloved. That means I've been greatly loved. I've been chosen. I've been made holy. This is why the scripture can call us saints. Couldn't call you saints if you weren't holy. I've been chosen. I've been made holy. And I've been greatly loved. And you start with those three things. And your life begins to change. Those who have been chosen of God. Holy. And beloved. Put on. Put on. Isn't that important and powerful? Put on. It doesn't say these things will just show up. It doesn't say you're holy and beloved. So just sit back and wait. You're in for a show. It says put on a heart of compassion. Now, we're using commas here. But for emphasis, I'm going to separate them and say put on a heart of compassion. Put on a heart of kindness. Put on a heart of humility. Put on gentleness. Put on patience. As believers, you've got choices every day of your life. Am I going to let the personality, the emotions, the habits of who I used to be determine who I am now? Or am I going to put on the heart that was already given in me? Do you see you've already been given this? I mean, in Ephesians 6, when it says, when it says put on the full armor of God, you can't put it on if you, you didn't have it. He's given you his full armor, but he tells you to put on the helmet of salvation. He tells you to put on the breastplate of righteousness. You're told to put on the shield of faith. You're told to, to, to put on your shoes, the preparation of the gospel of peace. You're supposed to gird your loins with truth. There is action here. Not simply, hey, you know, now that you're born again, you've got this stuff on all the time. You have access. You've already been clothed in it. You've been given it. It's been granted. God has held nothing back from you. Now, friends, choose this day. Will you walk like the old man or will you walk like the new man? Put it on. Set your mind. Renew your mind. Take off the old. Put on the new. Put on a heart of compassion. Put on a heart of kindness. Those are actions, guys, because this doesn't come natural to us. There was a philosopher in the early 20th century. Many of you know, you've heard of Friedrich Nietzsche. Well, 19th and 20th century. Who taught, from an evolutionary perspective, it was the philosophy of evolution, really, that man at his noblest, is the strong dominating the weak. 
Because, guys, if you believe purely in evolution and there is no God, the best thing for evolution is that the strong would be the ones that would carry on and the weak ones would die off. If we don't believe in God, we believe that's probably the best thing, right? That's the only way the race survives, strong dominating the weak. So he said the most noblest thing is for the strong to dominate the weak. And his anger, and this was a son of a German pastor who turned against God. And his anger was that Christianity flipped that on its head. He was so angry that Christianity taught that the strong must bear the weak. That, that the strongest must be servants of all. He thought, this is ludicrous. And you're surprised when a guy like Hitler took that philosophy to its extreme point. It was first Nietzsche who talked about the Superman. And it was Hitler who refined that idea to speak of a race of strong dominating the race of weak. Now, when you think like that, that is the spirit of this world. That is our flesh under the curse goes back to that same animal instinct that's under the curse. Because animals, think about it, in the new heaven and new earth, he talks about lions laying down with lambs. That means that the lion will no longer be a carnivore. That there will be the strong and the weak together. But see, under the curse, we devour each other. Under the curse, animal devours animal. People devour each other. I mean, I say I don't eat people, but in, in certain ways, we're, we're out to, to put people down and, and, and just get ourselves at the top of the pack. And if I have to step on the people in the middle to get to the top, that's what I'll do. And compassion is a foreign thought, guys. Compassion means that you, it doesn't just mean you have certain feelings and you throw some money. True compassion means that you get down and feel what they feel and do something about it. Jesus had compassion and it moved him not to feel sorry for them, but to heal them. So a heart of compassion sees those that are broken and sees healing and makes that happen. Praise, sees, sees the hand of God moving through their own hands. That compassion finds action. And it says, put on a heart of kindness put on a heart of humility once again foreign put on a heart of gentleness put on a heart of patience if there's anything that sounds more foreign to our culture than these phrases I don't know what it is right but he says you've been given these things you've got a new self that has been created to look like Christ just put it on. Put on all these things. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, listen to this, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. I love that because that means in the same way that Jesus forgave you. Did Jesus forgive you in stages? Did you have a payment plan of forgiveness? It's like, I can only, I mean, you're going to have to give me some time. There's some things I got over quickly, but I'm going to need to process some of the things you did to me. It's going to take you for the rest of your life to pay off this to me. I'll forgive you, but it'll take time. Now, Jesus forgave you instantly and completely. Right? He didn't even, I mean, guys, 
Yeah, this is this is just as the Lord forgave you. Boy, that puts it in perspective, because every time somebody does this little thing against me that I think is a big thing, you compare it to all the things you did against Jesus and it doesn't measure up at all. And so you go just as he forgave you instantly, completely, without reservation. So forgive. What a standard. Beyond all these things, beyond. Now. Now think about it, guys. If you're living under the bondage of the law, I suppose you'd see beyond all these things as an impossible, terrifying, tiring thought. Wait, I have to do more? But as children in a new covenant, don't you see that beyond as a, as a praise the Lord moment where you go, I can go beyond that? <laughs> he gave me more than that? Thank God I'm made for more. That I don't just stop there. That's why the Sermon on the Mount is so cool. Because you can't do it if you're not born again. Because he's like, this was the law. Here's the people. Here's the new covenant. You're going further. Some people think the new covenant says you can do less. The new covenant says you get to do more. You're going to have more power. You're going to have more anointing, more ability. You're going to have grace. So he says, beyond all these things, put on. Put on. Are you getting tired of hearing that? Put on love. You know the love of God has been poured out in my heart by the Holy Spirit. The scripture says that. But you put that on. You clothe yourself in that. We've talked about in Titus when it says, adorn the doctrine. Adorn the doctrine of God. Adorn your doctrine. What does adorn mean? It means to wear. You guys have doctrine? Wear it. I'm not talking about cool Christian t-shirts. I'm talking about clothing yourself in Christ. You've been clothed in Christ, now put on Christ. It says, beyond all these things, put on love. Once again, that's intentional. That's action. Put it on. Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And that's the truth, and I'll tell you why. Because there are imperfect bonds of unity as well. We get together because we like the same sports. We get together because we uh, are the same age and have uh, kids the same age. We get together uh, because we, we like some of the same activities. We get together. All of these things may bind you together for a time, but they're imperfect and they won't hold. That's why, that's why I'm so careful when we, we have a, a great... Uh, Bible study meeting and and uh, it's it's gotten to the place in Loon Lake and it's gotten to the place where sometimes I think we need to uh, split these groups up because we don't fit in houses anymore <laughs> at times and uh, and I've I've prayed I've really sought the Lord on how to do that because I don't want to split them up by by these um, by interest groups or age groups or your couples you're not because that's an imperfect bond. All of those things may bind you together for a time, but you'll grow apart. But love takes totally diverse groups of people, totally, totally different in every area, and puts them together. That's why the perfect church will be diverse. The perfect church will have all ages. The perfect church will have people of different class backgrounds, rich, poor background, doesn't matter. They're all becoming who God made them to be. And they'll get along because they're seeing each other as Christ sees them. Christ is all, Christ in all. And that love binds us together. 
That's supernatural. The love of God is the perfect bond of unity. Now, I don't know if you've broken the word unity apart, uh, apart, but it doesn't mean two people getting along. I want you to use your brain for just a second. It'll come to you like a light bulb over your head. When you see, how many of you took French in school? Right? First two letters in unity are U-N in French. That means, in Latin, means one. Italian, uno. Spanish, uno. That's because our word for unity means oneity. <laughs> we just say it fancy. And, and this is saying, this is a perfect bond of unity. Unity isn't two people getting along. Unity is two people marching as one person. Let the peace of Christ. It doesn't say the peace of Christ will force its way in your life. It says let the peace of Christ. That's action. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now, we, we use this, and, and rightfully so. We talk about let the, letting the peace of Christ rule as far as decisions are concerned, as far as, um, as prayer is concerned. We, we say, well, do you know what to do? Uh, I don't know. Well, let the peace of Christ call the shots. In its context, that's good, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. But in its context, it's talking about being one body. It's talking about being in unity. It's sandwiched between saying unity and you were called in one body. So we're talking mainly in this verse, we're talking about relationships. We're talking about the church. He says, let the peace of Christ rule. What God has joined together, let no man break apart. And what God joined in us, if he joined us together, let's not let that break apart for stupid reasons. Let's not let it break apart because somebody said something. We were offended by some little thing. This is so valuable and so precious. The unity of the faith. He says, let the peace of Christ call the shots. Let it be the umpire. Let it rule. To which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Because if you can be thankful for these people. I remember a sermon David McGrew preached here. I don't remember if it was Minister's Conference. Yeah, it was Minister's Conference. He preached uh, um, from the letters of Paul how he started out with these prayers and one in particular where he says, I, I thank my God in every remembrance of you. Every time I think of you, I thank God. And you think, what group of people could you ever do that? Where you think of everybody in that group. <laughs> We're not talking about a small group, but a large group. Everybody in that group, every time I think of them, I'm thankful. That's... That's a work of God <laughs> because <laughs> any group of people in your life at some point are going to let you down. And he goes, every time I think of them, and he's talking to a church that has not been perfect. Every time I think of them, every time I thank God. I've allowed God to put thankfulness in my heart for those people. doesn't matter if they did something weird to you. doesn't matter if they didn't talk to you last Sunday. I'm thankful for them. That's a work of God. Be thankful. What you're thankful for, what you're thankful for is what you've allowed God into. I mean, the things that you're thankful for are the things that God has free reign in. It says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Once again, there's a let. Let the word of Christ. Are you noticing what I'm noticing? I hope I'm not being too obvious here. But there's a lot of put on, take off, let. 
This is, this is all encouragement, but it's putting the ball in your court. Let the word of Christ richly, if it's rich, is there any lack of it? If it's rich, is there room for anything else? Richly dwelling means living, inhabiting your heart, but not just a little bit, not just a corner, not just a touch. Why, just a little word in your heart. You'll be amazed how far it goes. Just let the word have a little place in your heart. If you just have a little place in your heart for your word, for the word, man, you'd be, you'd be astonished at what it'd do in your life. Let a little bit of word in, it'll change your life. How about you let a lot of word in and see what it does? Let it richly dwell. Let it richly dwell. And I believe that if you are full of something rich, if you're full of a rich meal, you're not asking for anything else. You got it. If it's richly living in your heart, there's not room for other junk. Let it richly dwell within you. With all wisdom. Wait a second. Who has all wisdom? Apparently we do. With all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another. With psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do. Whatever you do. In word or deed. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now that's a huge thing. We've talked about this before. Doing all in the name of the Lord Jesus doesn't mean you put in the name of Jesus at the end of everything you do. In the name of Jesus, I move this chair over here. It means that whatever you do, you do as if he were doing it. You do it as if he was the one doing it. If you are cleaning the bathrooms, you do it as if Jesus were cleaning the bathrooms. You say, Jesus wouldn't clean the bathroom. He cleaned his disciples' sweaty, dirty feet. Whatever you do, do it in his name. Do it as if he's doing it, and he'll do it through you. Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. Whatever you're doing, in word or deed, give thanks. Through him, to God the Father. Your life is a life full of choices. You've been given every piece of equipment you ever need. You've been clothed in all the right stuff. You've been given a new self that is perfect. Don't you realize the new self is perfect? It's your mind that needs renewing. The new self is being renewed. But, you know, your spirit has already been made holy. It'll grow. But it doesn't get any cleaner. It's your soul that gets cleaner. And there's that temptation to let the world get on me. And instead of washing it off, I let it change me. And in doing so, I partake in the old self. I go back to the old ways. You're not that guy anymore. You're not that lady anymore. You are a new creation. Walk is a new creation. So every day, it calls for putting something on and taking something off. Laying something aside and putting something on. I say this all to you. You may say, this sounds very elementary. Of course you do all these things. But I say it because it's going to take your heartfelt intention and devotion to do it. You're going to have to make up your mind thousands of times a day to set your mind on something, to think about what he wants you to think about instead of the obvious things. Do you know that the water will run wherever the trenches are? And those trenches have been dug through experiences that we've had, people that have had effect on our life, 
good or bad experiences, things have dug those trenches, and if you let it alone, the water flows the same way it always flowed. And what God is doing is renewing this mind, which is full of trenches, which is full of old tunnels and and cracks. God is renewing it. And if you'll set your mind on the things above instead of the things beneath, then the water doesn't just run where it used to run. It goes in a different direction. Your thoughts can't just be allowed to wander. They have to be controlled. Your heart, your emotions have to be put on. Have you thought of that? You've got to put on your emotions. All of those things are not just emotions. They're fruits of the spirit, but they work their way into your emotions. You've got the choice. If you're an animal, you have no choice. You just go by instinct. But if you're a human being created in the likeness of God with his new nature, you don't have to do whatever you feel like doing. Now, many people think that that sounds like a bad thing. I praise the Lord for it. I don't have to do whatever I feel like. I get to do what he's made me to do. And so as such, I can say, thank God, I can put on a heart of compassion. I can put on a heart of kindness. I can put on love. I can put on Christ. I can put on the spirit. I can put on the armor of light. I can put on the full armor of God. And I can leave everything else in the trench where it belongs. This is going to take every conversation you have, putting it on. It's going to take every prayer you pray, putting it on. And every time you're alone and your mind begins to wander, set your mind, control it, and let it, if you can't control it, renew it by the word. In fact, it should always be being renewed. Wash it. When you get all these weird things in your head, I mean, is this, so, is this such a wonder that some of us struggle depression when you have no re- understanding why you're struggling with depression? But perhaps you've picked up a lot of junk. Perhaps you've picked up a lot of the world's thoughts and patterns and habits and, and emotions. And a lot of the world has gotten... And, and it's just, you're walking through a, a muddy field. You get mud on your boots. What do you do? You clean it off. If you let it long enough, your brain will get heavy. You will get discouraged. Wash your mind out and set it on things above and put on the new self and lay aside the old self and everything that goes with it. This is what, as mature believers, we need to be reminded of, but we need to do every day. Take things off, put things on. Take thoughts off, put thoughts on. I'm talking about being in control, but actually letting yourself be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Letting Him work in you. Praise God. This is, this is so exciting for me to know that I don't have to react like I, my first instinct is. And you know what? Long, the longer you renew your mind, the more your instincts change. That's the coolest thing. When you first got born again, Maybe you had a foul mouth. Oh, we've had people get born again, fall on the ground, you know. An usher thinks they're helping, and maybe they were helping. I don't remember. But I do remember somebody, you know, just lost in the spirit, little tear going down his face, rough guy, not normally a crier. The usher says, I don't know if he wants to see people crying. Don't try to figure out who it is. It was so long ago, I don't even know who the usher was tries to give him a Kleenex, kind of puts his 
hand on his arm, or somebody was trying to pray for him, wasn't it? I mean, this is a hand on his shoulder, and all of a sudden this guy just swears just really loud because he felt like he goes, I felt like somebody woke me up out of a beautiful dream. Well, he got born again, but he still had that old instinct, right? But the more you renew your mind, you find the instincts are different. I know because I've scared my mother while I've been driving several times throughout my teenage life and, and even older than that. Where the things that came out of her mouth when she thought she was near death were actually very good things. Calling out to Jesus, praying in the spirit. Whereas a less renewed mind may have just swore quite a bit loudly and all of these other things. So being renewed changes your instincts, changes your your instinct emotions. But remember to put the old self aside. And put on that new self. That's who you really are now. The other stuff is just who you used to be. You're dead. Consider that. I'm dead to that stuff. That's not me anymore. I look like Jesus. How would Jesus react? Put it on. Put on Christ. Amen. Would you get up? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. The time for us to awaken is here. The day is near, the night is almost done. Therefore, let us put on, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. The armor of light. Have you ever considered light being not just something that shines out from you, but something that protects you from the darkness? It's armor. That's what you were created in. That's what you have. And you've been clothed in it already. You've been clothed with power. Now put on power. You've been clothed with Christ. Put on Christ. You've been clothed with his spirit. Now put it on in your everyday life. Father, we thank you and glorify you. You are great and you've done great things. God, we honor you this evening and ask you, Lord, that we can honor you not just with our words, not just with our lips, with our lives. I want to thank you for sanctifying us. I want to thank you for your work in us. I want to thank you for what you've already begun in us. And you said that that if you've begun a good work in us, you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. We know that there is a progressive work in our lives that you haven't quit and you're not giving up on. But I thank you, Lord, that you've clothed us in so great a salvation, that you've given us access to all that you are, You've given us your word that it could richly dwell within us. Lord, remind us daily where we should set our minds. Remind us daily what we should put on and what we should lay aside. Lord, that we'd be people that are led by the Spirit, not led by our flesh, not led by circumstance, not led by the world, but led by you. In Jesus' name.